The Guardian. The Guardian Live at the Edinburgh Fringe 2008. Welcome to The Guardian Live at the Gilded Balloon. I've just stepped off stage. The Penny Dreadfuls have just finished our show for us with a fantastic sketch. We've had a really great fun show today. We had John Gordillo on, Mark Fisher from The Guardian, Mark Olver, Kerry Godleman opened the show with a fantastic show. My first guest today has a long list of television credits, which includes Spoons, Extras and Rush Hour. Her show, This Is Not What I Was Expecting, is on every day at the Pleasance Dome at 5 o'clock. Please welcome to the stage, Kerry Godleman! Hello. How are you all? Good. This is the optimum time for stand-up. Uh, and here we are at the Olympics for jesters. And it's uh, very lovely to be here too. Uh, my show, as Miles was saying, is called This Is Not What I Was Expecting. And I talk about lots of things to do with expectation. Uh, specifically, at the end, I talk about um, being pregnant because obviously we call that expecting. That's a protracted state of expectation. And uh, that was quite a strange time for me because um, it was quite boring. It was long, very long, because it does take a very long time to cook a human. And uh, nine months, traditionally. And, um, you know, sometimes I was in a good mood, sometimes I was happy. I was like, oh, those hormones bobbing about, thinking, oh, this is great. I'm going to breed a brood. I'm going to bake bread. We'll get a goat. Uh, and then other times I was less uh, uh, excited about it. I, one thing I noticed is people want to talk about it a lot with you when you're pregnant. They want to talk all the time, especially old ladies at bus stops. Uh, they love to ask you, are you excited? 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 And sometimes I'm excited, but it's different difficult to sustain excitement for nine months. So, you know, it, it's an emotion, you know, it's sort of transient. So sometimes I was excited. Sometimes I said, you know, I've got a sort of choking feeling, a suffocating sensation that I've made an irreversible mistake. No, don't go away. Come back. Um, but they didn't want to have that conversation. Uh, old ladies at bus stops, what they wanted to play is the guest agenda game. That's their favourite game. It's amazing to me that something with a 50-50 outcome can evoke such speculation uh, from old ladies. But they do enjoy that game very much. And uh, they'd often say, do you know what you're having, love? Do you know what you're having? And i say, no, we didn't, we didn't find out. I don't know what I'm having. And they'd say, well, I'll tell you. Your bump is high as opposed to low. And it was the same with Maud. And uh, I, saw, I saw a magpie last Thursday and I got a mate called Roy. So... Uh, you're going to have a boy wielding a wedding ring and a bit of cotton. You're like, go away, witch. Uh, it's, it, you know, if I'd wanted to know what I was going to have, I could have found out, couldn't I? There's machines that could have told me. But there's lots of things that, I, you know, obviously you've got to make your own fun when you're pregnant. You've got to jolly it up for yourself because you can't drink. Uh, and that's, that's quite boring because I like drinking, especially at the festival. Uh, and I shouldn't drink as much as I do because I used to have to go to AA um, meetings. Yeah, awkward. Um, <laughs> But uh, don't panic, because actually the group I used to belong to was called Anonymous Alcoholics. And um, we'd just meet down the local pub uh, <laughs> and just get very drunk and not tell each other our names. So, um, uh, uh, so yeah, so I had to make fun uh, for myself. I had to jolly it up for myself. I used to go to a pregnancy yoga group, uh, which wasn't that much fun, I think you're probably assuming. Um, and it was interesting because we'd all waddle in and sit in a big circle. And the woman that ran the group was very, very patronising. And she'd welcome us in and she'd say, hello, ladies, mummies to be. We're going to go around the group. We're going to ask everyone their name, how many weeks pregnant they are, and how they feel. So, you know, by the third person, you want to kill her. But, but by the time it came round to me, I was like, oh, hello, yeah, my name's Kerry. Uh, I'm 28 weeks pregnant. Um, how do I feel? Uh, I've got a terrible hangover, actually. <laughs> that was quite a good game. Uh, watching all these women go, oh, 
Can you drink now? Can you drink if they change the rules on that? Uh, yes. Lots of strange things bother you, uh, you know, once you've had a baby, all manner of... Because I didn't get anything like what I was expecting from the whole experience of childbirth and pregnancy and parent... I mean, I got a baby. I had a baby. Uh, I didn't have a meerkat, something weird. Um, but it, the whole thing was very kind of odd. And uh, I thought that by the time I became a parent, I'd be somehow kind of calmer or wiser, better. I thought when I became a parent, someone might issue me with some literature, uh, at the very least, how to guilt trip my child. But some something. But uh, no, I, I appear to be sort of blundering through life, making it up as I go along and trivial things that I thought I'd be above by now still trouble me like why do baby clothes have pockets <laughs> that's brilliant that creates images of a 10-week-old baby going wallet keys phone <laughs> let's, let's go she's got a pocket in her hat that's needless waste of fabric um, so, and uh, <sighs> And I, I, I find myself kind of getting grumpy about things that, you know, it seems unreasonable. I get very uh, cross with friends of mine that haven't got kids, but that have got a dog and think it's the same. That's, that's strange, isn't it? I was chatting to my friend uh, recently, um, uh, and my daughter's very mobile. You, you know, she can move uh, very quickly. And um, I was thinking about getting one of those uh, cages. Um, <laughs> a, a playpen, a playpen. Uh, <laughs> Because I've got things I want to do. I want to go on Facebook. Um, and uh, and uh, I, I, I said to my friend Miles, I said, I was thinking about getting one of those. It seems a bit cruel. And he said, well, what we do with Edward, that's his dog. He said, uh, what we do with Edward is we put him in a kennel with a chain. I said, well, that seems extreme uh, to me. And he said, well, don't blame me when she shits under the sofa and bites through electric wiring. Well, you know, I won't be coming back for parenting tips. So all these things are uh, about my expectations uh, about being a parent. And, and she's lovely. She's a gorgeous little girl. She's one and a half. She's a bit clingy, uh, but she's uh, <laughs> needy, just needy. I mean, she's fine. Uh, but yes, uh, and a thing that occurred to me during the run of the show is that um, there's a possibility that I'm not what she was expecting, uh, which is something I'm sure I'll hear a lot more about. Uh, in about 13 years. But um, you, you've been delightful. This has been lots of fun. So uh, I'll hand you back to Miles. Good afternoon. Kerry Gollivan is on at the Pleasant Stone at five o'clock every day. John Gordillo is an established comedian and director, working with comedians such as Eddie Izzard and Reginald D. Hunter. He's back on stage himself this year with a show ostensibly about politics, but really it's more about his dad. Before we say hello to him, uh, let's hear what the audience at his show last night thought. <laughs> Um, Sincere. Yeah. It made me think of my own parents. The emotion was a lot higher. I think there was a lot more emotion in this comedy than other things I've seen in Edinburgh. So, yeah, it was really good. Stakes really funny. I want to meet his dad. His accent was spot on. Very good. Yeah. You, you enjoyed it? Yeah, a lot. I thought it was very good. Yeah, it's, great. it's a great show. Definitely. Reco highly recommended. Please welcome John Godello. Uh, emotional, thoughtful, witty, excellent, highly recommended. Uh, the audience last night... The We're drunk, yes. Were <laughs> now, your show, your show is meant to be about politics, if that's the case, mm. but it's, it's, become, it's become more well, about it's your sort father. Of, yes, so sort of the idea of it originally was that it was about sort of fundamentalism and about the men just the mentality of extremism. And it's not so much about sort of the rights and wrongs of the war on terror, just as much as what is that mentality that, you know, divides the world into two and it's us and them, and they are always the problem. We are never the problem. And, but as I was making it, and, and what's happened is that in the coming to Edinburgh, because once you stick it in that room, 
people seem to like the story more. They seem to like it if there's an actual development of an idea over the hour. So lots of stand-up, proper stand-up that isn't about me and my dad has just been cut because what's really driving it is really just a whole bunch of arguments with my dad, who is like a really rabid communist. Right. And, and that's what I grew up with, was just this just very intense fundamentalist communist guy who just shouts in post offices and is constantly <laughs> on a, you know, just raging for the workers. And he has, in a way, in, as I perceive him, the same mentality as the Al-Qaeda people. But... <laughs> But it's a different philosophy. It's not the same philosophy, obviously. <laughs> but the shape of their belief is quite similar. They, have, you know, they dream of this kind of utopian future and they don't believe you should engage with the enemy and, and all the rest of it. And so, and so from there, I, I sort of realised, well, the show should really be, if I'm going to be honest about it, then the show should really be about my relationship with him and, and the arguments that we have and how, not just the political disagreements that we have, but how the fact that our whole relationship even in stuff that's got nothing to do with politics, is totally political. It's all based around, let's not piss Dad off, you know, let's just, let's, <laughs> let's keep Dad, uh, you know, because he can be quite sensitive, so let's keep him safe. But he's a sweetheart, I mean, he's a very generous, kind of sentimental man as well. And he's, he's, he's a full-on full on Spanish person. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Is that, I, mean, I mean, can you, can you, without spoiling too much of your show, could you, could you briefly do your... Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, oh. It's, it's, very, it's very simple. He, he's been like this, this is, you have to believe me, this is a very good impression of my father. He's, uh, I'm a communist, if you don't fucking like it, you can fuck off, I don't care, you don't fucking do me. And he'll do that, he'll get, he'll get lost, he'll wind himself up on his own train of thought. <laughs> so he'll start off normally, oh, very good, you don't fucking like, well, you fa don't you fucking look at me like this, you know, <laughs> boom. And he's there, and, and it was obviously very much like being brought up by Scarface in my childhood. It was <laughs> he's very... But, and, and he's not a violent man. He's not a physically violent man, but he's emotionally a violent man and is in many ways, because of his background, a troubled man. There, there are things... But then he's one of these guys who piles on his own troubles. He creates... You know, it's, he has had a tough life and a tougher life than me, but, my God, he looks so often for the trouble in life and for the, you know, he looks for the sign of being undermined and, and so on. So he's, he's like a little mini-dictator. <laughs> he, is, he is actually, in his personal politics, a Nazi. He is the opposite <laughs> of his political beliefs, which is, which is what the show is sort of me trying to sort of figure out. What's that about? But I'm, trying to ask, but I'm trying to ask bigger questions as well. But obviously, I've clearly got dad issues, and that just takes over the whole fucking thing. It's <laughs> <So. laughs> silly exercise get across the month. Do you, do, you, do you spend a lot of the time in character as your dad then in the, in the show? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, well, it's sort of the show's become sort of like a double act with me and him. It's sort of, it, yes. And oh. so, and, and, it, and what's disturbing to me is in that room, obviously, as a stand up comedian, I do jokes about lots of different subjects. But it seems to me at the moment, because this show. Because it's not quite stand-up, because it's a show, because you have to, whatever, there's a story there that you have to tell. But I, I, I feel almost unable to do stand-up at the moment without sort of slipping into this, you know. So it's just sort of <laughs> Has he seen the show? Uh, no, he hasn't. But I'd like him to see the show, on the, but I think I'd need to sit down and, and have a little conversation with him about it first. Oh. Yeah. He <laughs> We're about to do the show to him uh, alone in his home. Possibly. Well, I'm going to see him in Spain. Uh, he's just moved to Spain. He just retired to Spain. So I'm going to go and see him uh, the week after the week after the festival. So I might take a tape over and say, right, this is what it's about. Because I didn't expect him to, be, to, to, to dominate it so much. How, how, has he become at all anglicised? I mean, now he's in Spain. Is he like a Brit abroad? Oh, well, he, no. He, well, he's a guy who wants to be out. He's outside wherever he is. So he spent... His his whole, you know, what, 30, 40 odd years in Britain, because they're fucking British, you fucking, you are all the fucking same, you look down at the nose at us, you make us feel like we are nothing. And, but now he's gone to Spain, he goes, I fucking hate the Spanish, I miss the British. <laughs> it, 
he's, he's, so he's never, in the, he could be, I said, why? Because in Britain, everybody knows they are fucked. Everybody knows. <laughs> Everything is expensive. The, the, the weather is shit. There is a camaraderie amongst the British that you don't get in Spain anymore. And you, and you say to him, yeah, but okay, because in those days he was with Franco. So he said, well, there's no Franco now. He goes, yeah, but you know, people were happier in my youth. And he goes, what? <laughs> and, he, and he's a communist. I mean, he had, nobody hated Franco more than him. So I think that's where he's comfortable. But he's somewhat, you know, as, as befits somebody of 67, 68 years old now, a very youthful 68, but he's mellowing. There are, you know, he's able to take on more things than 20 years ago Just when he was, objectively speaking, a fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you have this, this cult uh, internet following, don't you? As, as I, I do, I do. I. You do, <laughs> no, right? I but, uh, John, you, <clears throat> you used to host uh, this thing, uh, mm. the RDA, the Recommended mm. Daily Allowance, on BBC Choice. Yes, that's uh, how old that show is. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, but that, that I, I remember going to a, that was it was like a, it was like a British Daily Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember going to see that uh, as, when I was a young a young open spot. Going, with my friend oh, Will, we I went oh, to yeah, see I that. That's where I first met you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I was very sort of young and excited. And you you have to, you said this long running joke about Hugh Edwards, uh, the, the oh, BBC News presenter. We used to do a show. It was a nightly show on <clears throat> on BBC Choice, and the whole thing of it because obviously nobody knew who we were, and. We were, and we were in one of the little studios in TV Centre, but we, you know, we were quite well resourced, but we just wanted to make a show that was kind of honest, that would be about, you know, so obviously you'd do the things like you'd see the wires and you'd see the cameras and you'd involve people. And if something more interesting happened in the middle of the show than the lame stuff that we had frequently formatted for it, <laughs> we would just follow that. And, and, and sometimes that turned out great, and sometimes it was just like watching a snake die. It was just horrible. But, <laughs> but, um, and we used to do a thing, because we were at TV Centre, um, and, and there used to be a thing where we could train a camera out of the window, and, and out the window was the stage door of the TV centre, where all of the you know the celebrities kind of came and went as they did their job. And we realised that Hugh Edwards, um, the newsreader, he always finished his six o'clock recording at six thirty, and he had to come back at like six fifty-five to do a little one-minute wrap-up of the news. And then he would leave, and we saw, and we, and we would always record at seven, and we went, geez, this guy just can't wait to get out of the building. Like, he, he, he would be at 7.01, 7.02, 6.59. And so we just started filming him every night, and unbeknown to him, and then we ended up having a sweepstake, going, well, what time will Hugh Edwards leave the building tonight? And it just became very elaborate to the point where we said, okay, well, whoever wins it tonight gets the night off tomorrow. So, so if I had got the night off, then we would have done the show with someone else in the chair. And... Uh, but the very last night, he realised what we were doing and drove around and came into the studio and gave me the bollocking of a lifetime on air. <laughs> <laughs> but he was great. He kind of got the joke. And, and he got, the, obviously, that we were just having fun and it was quite you know, benign, really. John Godillo is performing his show Divide and Conquer at the Pleasant Stone every day at 8.45. Thank you very much. John Godillo! <laughs> John, please stay with us. Uh, the person here to make sure that we're upholding Guardian editorial standards today is Mark Fisher, their theatre man in Scotland. Please welcome Mark Fisher. Hello. Now, Mark, you're, you're mainly a theatre critic. How, how's theatre at the festival been this year? Well, I do feel like the, the, the sort of sober one at a party coming to this with so many fantastic comedians around me. And here I am saying, oh, it's very, very serious this year. And it is. It's very, 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 very serious. Um, there was a, a friend of mine came up to Edinburgh uh, towards the start of the festival and she said, oh, well, let's go to a, to a play. And I, so I was just looking at the kind of things that I had on my list for going to see. 
And I said, well, you can go and see the one about um, all the aeroplanes crashing, or you can go and see <laughs> the one about the Holocaust, or maybe you'd like to see the one about the um, state executions after a, a civil insurrection. And <laughs> it was kind of pretty much like that uh, right, the way, uh, right the way through the festival. So it's been very, very, very serious, yeah. Uh, now, uh, we'd like to hear your recommendations for some, some theatre shows, but have you, have, you, uh, have you managed to get along to see any comedy? Um, I saw Maxwell's Full Mooners at, um, um, up on Carlton Hill in the fantastic uh, tent that Footspawn Theatre Company, Footspawn are here performing a sort of fairly uh, wild production of Midsummer Night's Dream up on Carlton Hill in their own tent, which they tour around the, the world with. And uh, they're all living in caravans next door to, next door to the tent and uh, on the full moon, which was last Saturday, I think, um, uh, Andrew Maxwell uh, had this... Uh, very lively comedy show which he does every time there is a full, full moon as far as I can tell with, with uh, many of his comedy friends uh, and uh, the, the great thing about it is that any time any anyone makes a joke or in fact a gaffe or pretty much if anything happens <laughs> um, the lights go down a moon is projected on the stage and everybody goes oh! So it's all very lively <laughs> That was me at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, now, uh, we've, been, uh, we've been running a, a sort of competition to see uh, uh, what is the most number of shows that uh, a Guardian journalist has managed to see uh, in a day, in a way of justifying their existence, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, we're going to be having a little look now at the Guardian leaderboard. They get free tickets for every show, but to just how many will they go? The Guardian leaderboard. The Guardian leaderboard. <laughs> Thank you very much, Anna. I didn't even know they made bikinis that small. Um, uh, so, really, it's about uh, the maximum number of shows a journalist has seen in one day that works uh, for The Guardian. Uh, Cornelius Lysert is the top, 7.5. Uh, yeah, 7.5. Well, what happened is, uh, Cornelius Lysert, he does, he does write for The Guardian, but he doesn't, he doesn't get a press pass and goes, he actually pays for the tickets himself. So, consequently, we, whatever his, his max answer was, we times it by 1.5. Not, not unreasonable. Why does he do that? Is that a point of principle with him? What, what's, what's uh, that all about? Well, he, he, he's actually a racing correspondent, not an arts journalist. So <laughs> oh, I see. They <laughs> can't just hand these things out willy-nilly. Uh, I mean, obviously, you can invent a student website and get a free pass, but otherwise, <laughs> otherwise it's very strongly regulated. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and then basically at, at the end, the person with the, we're not quite sure, but the person with the least shows in the day that they met to see, uh, they get shot against a wall as part of a Guardian-sponsored revolution, or uh, high tea for two with the Mayor of London. Um, uh, where, where would you fit onto this, uh, this leaderboard? Um, well, I'm coming somewhere in the middle. I'm going for five shows um, consecutive, consecutively at the, at the Travis in the studio theatre there. That was five, which puts me on line with Andrew Dixon, who I think ended up with me getting this, this gig right now. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, well, um, uh, you can only count, so if you can name all five shows in, in so 20 it seconds. It seems a long, long time ago. Um, so Start. It was... Oh, oh, it's such a long time ago. Oh, the clock seems it's, to be ticking. Oh, on. it does, doesn't it? <laughs> we'll, start, we'll start with Deep Cut. Fantastic play about... You're really going to time me as well, are you? Oh, but yes, 11 Has seconds so far. I've been on for the, like, the last three years. Now. You're, deliberately, on for last you're, you're <laughs> deliberately ruining his game I'm now. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 16 <laughs> seconds... Right, you're two seconds away from being shot. Oh. Uh, I did, 20 seconds has passed, Mark. You've named oh, one well, show. Shame. Yeah, one, one show. Uh, yeah, uh, I did actually see one show five times. <laughs> <laughs> You've redeemed yourself. Congratulations. I, I just don't want you to be the person that gets shot or enjoys high tea. Um, <laughs> uh, Mark, uh, what, what are your top three tips? 
Top three tips. Um, there's this fantastic show um, called uh, Once and for All. We're going to tell you who we are, so shut up and listen. And if you can't remember that show, just remember that the company is called Entrepreneur and Good. Right. And uh, that's a fantastic play involving 13 teenagers um, uh, encapsulating what it is to be a teenager. It's at the Travers. It's been selling out, but a friend of mine told me that it's, it's been so popular that they're actually sticking an extra show on at half past 11 at night um, uh, at the Travers on Friday, I think it is. And two more. Um, I'll go for, just because I'm in the Gilded Balloon right now, um, Lynn Ferguson reviving her mm. um, heart and soul, a fantastic play mm. about a woman who falls in love with a fish. Soul spelled S-O-L-E. And a third one, well, I've mentioned Deep Cut already, but Deep Cut is very, very, very powerful, even if it has been running for six years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, is it old? Is it, it is no, an older a, play? or is it? Is it, it is a brand, it's a brand new play. It's just got a lot of publicity because okay. it's good. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, Mark, please stick with us till the end of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Fisher. Thank you. Next up, we have a stand-up comedian from Bristol. It took him five weeks to get to Edinburgh this year because he walked here. Why? Let's ask him. Please welcome Mark Olver. When John Gordillo came on, he had all that stuff. So the audience last night... They thought, hear this about John's show. It was brilliant. It was moving. Oh, I'd yeah. love to see it. Right. Where's mine? <laughs> it wasn't a particularly strong show last night. Could you only get shit, that was. <laughs> uh, we are short-staffed. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, probably. Could we um, recreate it? What did you think of uh, Mark Holver's show <laughs> last night? Yeah, it was pretty good. It was brilliant. Good work. Uh, lady good. there? No, no, just pretend. <laughs> Did you find it moving, Oh, brilliant, we got a radio. Oh, we can actually do this. Fantastic. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll pretend to be Miles Shaw. So, we've got Mark Olvert. This is what people thought of his show last night. Uh, Yeah, not bad, not bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mark, they sounded absolutely wild about it. Um, (laughs) I hope you'll be pleased with that package when it's edited. Oh, yeah, really, really looking forward to that. Yeah. Here's what the Dad. entire audience thought last night about Mark Olver's show. Not bad. <laughs> uh, there we are. <laughs> no, but Mark, did you, did you, you walked all the way from Bristol to Edinburgh? I walked all the way from Bristol to Edinburgh. Uh, it took five weeks. Five uh, weeks. 500 miles. I set off at the beginning of June and got here just in time for the festival. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where, where, where did this idea come from? Have you, I mean... Have you, have you had a driving ban, or are you...? Several. Uh, no, it, it just came from the fact that I kind of... I do, I'm of the generation who uh, have achieved nothing, but have done everything. Uh, so I'm looking in the audience, and, and they're at the grey brigade in there somewhere, and, uh, and they get married earlier than us, they have kids earlier than us, uh, they get mortgages earlier than us. I mean, I'm 33, uh, I'm not married, I've not got kids, and uh, the way the recession is going... Uh, credit crunch is going um i'm not going to get a mortgage for years and years and yet i have a uh, gimme cheer if you have an xbox not many of you and that's one nil me um uh, sky plus no less than half two nil me um a thing called a sling box that attaches to your sky plus and you can watch your sky plus anywhere in the world that you have wireless internet how oh, i win um <laughs> So, uh, so I just I have everything and yet have done 
nothing. I, I'm incredibly lazy, and comedians, and, and John will tell you, and you'll know as well, uh, we go on motorways, we go in service stations, we go in the same hotels all over the place. Mm. I had done nothing, I'd seen nothing of the country, and I just mm. wanted to have a bit of a wander. Mm. What, uh, what was the route that you followed? Uh, so I went up, um, I went from Bristol to Chepstow. Uh, cheer if you know any of these places. And then I went to Monmouth, which, uh, that's your, um, that's that's your wife's neck of the woods, where my it? wife is from, yes. Yes, yeah, so yes. I went to Monmouth. Uh, that was very nice. Hereford, uh, don't really want to talk about Hereford. Um, I, I did it without paying for any accommodation as well. I did it raising money for charity, for a national charity called Help the Hospices, and then local hospices all the way up. And I did it without paying for any accommodation. People at Chepstow, brilliant. Uh, Monmouth, Brilliant. Everywhere up the country, brilliant. There was a problem in Hereford, which we will call the people of Hereford. <laughs> what, what did the people of Hereford in, inflict on you? Uh, nothing. Mm-hmm. That's the point. <laughs> I did a radio interview, I did a TV interview, and I had something in the paper, just an appeal for somewhere to stay. And of all the hundreds of thousands of potential rooms in Hereford, there were none. So what did you do? Uh, I had a little one-man tent. I had a little, uh, I had a rucksack and I had a little one-man tent and I found a campsite in a place called Morton on Lug. Uh, <laughs> uh, run by a bloke called Adrian. And when he found out I was doing it for the Edinburgh Festival, uh, I said, oh yeah, I'm doing it to write a show. He went, I once wrote a show for the Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> Never produced. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, and so, I, so I had me one-man tent, but I'd never camped before. I'd never, and that's the thing, I'd, I'd never done anything like this. I'd never rambled before, I'd never camped before. Uh, uh, my average over the walk was 15 miles a day, and my average before that was less. <laughs> um, and I never camped, so I got to Morton-on-Lug in the pouring rain, which I thought, because I'd never camped before, was Mother Nature's sweet lullaby. <laughs> <laughs> More like a pissed-up hen party dancing away to I Will Survive until 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> which, 4.30, which is when the rain stopped, I know it was 4.30 because that's when the sun came out. <laughs> and they don't tell you about this about camping. You wake up when the sun comes out. But my tent was a one-man tent, which, conveniently, the size and shape of a coffin. <laughs> made of fabric. So it's got all the negative points of a coffin, i.e. the size and the shape. Without any of the positives, i.e. the ballast. It was a nightmare. All because of the people of Hereford. I don't know if there are any people in Hereford in, but you are on my list. Mark, I do hope you enjoy it. No, can we not just do positive ones? Because it sounds quite negative. It was was amazing. What what was the most uplifting thing that happened on your journey? Um, I camped in a place in Bamburgh Castle and I camped next to a couple called Janet and Jim and they gave me some Battenberg cake. And I love Battenberg cake. We all love Battenberg cake. Mark, do you like Battenberg cake? I'm indifferent, actually. (laughs) So your story is not quite as heartwarming as we hoped. (laughs) What the fuck's your problem with Battenberg cake? I'm a critic, I can't help it. Rate Battenberg cake out of five. Um, Three. But it read like a four. Uh, Mark, I do there are a lot of performers in. <laughs> Wait, you tell him. Yes, tell him. Yes. <laughs> uh, Mark, the show is called Ramble On. You're performing every night, ten past nine. Thank you very much for coming down to chat to us. Before we welcome our final fantastic act to the stage, please join me in showing your appreciation for all our guests today: Kerry Godelman, John Godillo, Mark Fisher, and Mark Olver. <laughs> 
Our final guests are a trio of gentlemen humorists who perform Victorian sketch comedy. They've been collecting a number of five-star reviews for their show this year called Aeneas Fabersham Forever at the Pleasance at ten past seven. They also feature in Sketchatron at 11pm on Thursday the 21st at the Pleasance Courtyard. Please welcome Humphrey Carr, David Reed and Tom Tuck, The Penny Dreadfuls! I was a flying fish going up and down. Bill that! <gasps> Get away from there! You want customs on us? Good lad. You just sit tight. Captain will be back soon. Gregor? I. What happens to sailors when they die? Like Gunnell and Christie, what? When they fell overboard, what happened to their bodies? There are some that say the bodies of drowned men sink to the bottom of the ocean where they are locked away in the locker of old Davy Jones. There to stay for all eternity as a devil donor's own property. But there are some that say the souls of drowned men wander the oceans lost and alone, luring ships into treacherous waters, there to dash upon the rocks and end the lives of better men. But there are some that say a golden dragon called Mr. Princess swoops down out of the skies and makes it all better with some kissing and cuddling. <laughs> then he brings you a brand new red bicycle with enormous wheels and the comfiest saddle you ever did see. Yay. And then he rapes you. Uh, I don't think I should like to die at sea, Gregor. No, it is a shitter, so it is. <laughs> If I were you, I'd avoid dying any time soon. Oh, right-o. Uh, good lad. You stick with Captain Hawkeye. You'll do just fine. Oh, I do so love to serve under Captain Hawkeye, even though he did get me drunk and kill my parents. <laughs> Funny. Oh, no. That man knows them. Sees like the back of his hand. There are some that say his mother was the sea. And his father merely a terrible storm. And his fetus was gestated in the shell of a giant and accommodating lobster. <gasps> there are some that say, he knows when the winds will change before the winds themselves know it. Because he was never really born at all. But constructed out of a thousand dolphin blowholes and lark's wings. <gasps> glued together by the kiss of a pirate king. And there are some that say he's not really a man at all, but actually a golden dragon called Mr. Princess. The tides have turned. I want all of this Kendall mint cake loaded aboard the ship within the hour. Aye, sir. Carry on, Mr. Gregor. Pillad, you mustn't listen to everything that old Mr. Gregor tells you. It's mainly just... Old wives' tales made up to scare boys like yourself. Now, seeing as how this is your first journey, and how you've done such a good job, 
I got you this shiny red bison. <gasps> now brace yourself, lad. I'm coming in dry. Thanks for listening. Please download all these podcasts at theguardian.co.uk slash podcast. I am off to eat nachos with the Penny Dreadfuls. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.